and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. In every episode, we meet five CMOs to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. Today is our much anticipated Silver Economy Programme. A reminder that we hosted our first Silver Economy edition in November. And I encourage you now to subscribe to How CMOs Commit, the podcast, to listen to that recording. The generation, often referred to as baby boomers, was born during the two decades following the end of World War II. From the Cuban Missile Crisis, to the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert F. Kennedy, the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, to the pill and the first man on the moon, to name just a few notable events, this generation has experienced profound cultural and political upheaval, as well as remarkable economic prosperity. Today, Boomers represent 28% of the US population, or 73 million people. By the year 2030, one in every $5 spent in the US will be done so by boomers. Older adults have 11 times more wealth than their millennial counterparts. By no means a monolith, however, today, one in three Americans over 65 relies on Social Security benefits alone. And the European Union calculates the silver economy market is worth 5.7 trillion euro to that economy. So the provocation for us today is how well do we communicate with and understand this consumer. To explore this topic, as ever, I am joined by five CMOs, and this time they are accompanied by their parents or their mentors. So, CMOs, as I introduce you, please answer the following question. What one word comes to mind when I say boomer generation? And to our audience, I invite you to contribute your words in the chat also and let us know where you are joining from. Okay, first, I'm going to invite Michelle Faro, SVP at MetLife. Hello, Michelle, what is your word? 
Hi, Margaret. So great to be here. What a great group of people you've brought together. My one word, which probably won't be a surprise after your opening, is substantial. Okay. Next, let's go to Jamaica to greet Carrie-Anne Benton Stimson, CMO of JMMB Group Jamaica. Hi, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me here today. Greetings from Kingston, Jamaica. My one word is undervalued. Marvelous. Let's now stay in New York and say hello to Michael Joseloff, CMO of Fortune. Hi, Margaret. My one word is cautious. Cautious. Wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> All right, let's go west to greet Sonita Lonto, CMO for Personalization, 3D Printing, and Digital Manufacturing at HP. Yes, we oh, have it. Hello, hello, Sonita. Hello, hello. Yes, well. It's early in California. Yes, California. Hello from San Francisco. My one word is self-confident. Self-confident. Okay, and finally, on the CMO count, let's stay in California, I believe to say hello to Russell Barnett, MD and CMO of My Mochi. Hey, Margaret, thanks for having uh, us today, me today. Uh, yeah, my one word is that of resilience. Resilience, marvelous set of words there. So now CMOs, I'm going to invite you to remain on silent mode, in listen mode, if you will, while we hear directly from your parents or mentors. And I will come back to you for your reactions. And as always, conclude this round table with my reflections. So first up, hello, Michael Avakanakis. Michael, the father of Michelle, is joining us today from Knoxville, Tennessee. Michael grew up in the Midwest, spent some time at the Air Force and 30 years with John Deere with deep expertise in HR and recruiting. Michael's passions include photography and voiceover. Hello again, Michael. Good afternoon, uh, Margaret. Good to be here. Delighted to have you. So Michael, I'm gonna invite you to begin the conversation with storytelling. And I know you, so tell us a story about a recent purchase you've made. A recent purchase that I made. I recently was in the market for an office chair. So uh, I ended up uh, getting on the internet and uh, narrowing the list of retailers that sold office chairs. I then uh, sent a Facebook message to uh, my friends for recommendations. I took those uh, recommendations and pared the list down, went back on the internet and read some online reviews of the products. And with that information, I uh, then went to some brick and mortar uh, stores to actually, uh, you know, test the product, sit on it, and then finally made a decision to buy a Serta office chair from Office Max. And the good news is it was on sale, too. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, what do you think influenced the decision to settle on that office chair? Well, I think there were uh, positive reviews. The, uh, the warranty was a 10-year warranty. And uh, I had purchased uh, products from Office Max in the past and their customer service is always top notch. So I felt if I had any problems, I could always go back and get my problems resolved. So customer service was probably the uh, number one consideration. 
Do you consider yourself a loyal customer or do you shop around? No, I shop around, but uh, loyalty is, uh, is a good part of it. I would consider myself a loyal co a customer. Have your shopping habits changed much since COVID, Michael? Well, they have. You know, we tend to buy or I tend to buy a lot more online. I think over the past year, I purchased, uh, you know, shoes online, uh, electrical parts, accessories for my cameras, even bird seats. So, yes, done a lot more online. And uh, also my wife and I uh, purchased more groceries because we've been uh, cooking more meals at home. What's your favorite meal to cook? Well, I'm not the cook, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the beneficiary. Although, as you say that, I've gotten into baking. My wife and I uh, started a low-carb diet, so I've uh, gotten pretty good at baking some low-carb blueberry muffins. Wow, sounds delicious, Michael. So tell me, Michael, you're, you've um, been very thoughtful about a variety of purchases. Is there a brand that you think gets it right? Any particular brand that you believe is doing a great job? Uh, yeah, the brand that, that I would consider is doing a great job is Apple. You know, they have products that uh, are intuitive and easy to use, uh, and that's especially important to uh, seniors like myself. Recently, I uh, purchased an Apple Watch for my wife so she could uh, monitor her heart rate, her pulse, and her oxygen level. And I think, uh, you know, Apple uh, recognizes the fact that uh, as the population gets older, there is more emphasis on healthcare. So I think you're going to see Apple introduce more healthcare related products in the future. And Michael, would you be open to purchasing healthcare from Apple? That's an interesting question. I don't know, I, you know, if, if, uh, if they ended up bringing in the expertise that uh, would convince me that they, uh, you know, have a product that, uh, you know, is, is good in the marketplace, I probably would consider it. But uh, right now, probably not. So, Michael, what do you believe are the biggest misconceptions about your generation vis-a-vis -vis marketers? Yeah, the biggest misconceptions, I think one is that uh, boomers are no longer in the workplace. Uh, as you mentioned in, in your introduction to me, I spent uh, nearly 30 years uh, at John Deere, but I took an early retirement, but I didn't uh, stop working. I uh, continued working in a human resource capacity as a consultant. And then even now, being fully retired, I still help people with resumes. So, you know, products uh, and wants uh, that I still have, you know, tied to uh, a work environment, uh, I'm still working. You so know, you I haven't stopped working. So you feel the, that office chair that you purchased, were they targeting you or what was that like? Were the photographs representative of the kind of experience you would want? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I did end up buying a uh, kind of a cushy uh, chair. So uh, I think they were targeting me and had uh, some ergonomic uh, support, lumbar support and all that. So yeah, I think it was targeting me as a senior. And finally, Michael, you're in the business of giving advice as a consultant. What's the top piece of advice you would give to marketers targeting the boomer generation? 
The biggest piece of advice, uh, it goes back to uh, loyalty. I think, you know, developing customer loyalty programs is important. We shop at Kroger versus Publix here because Kroger has a gas discount program that's linked to the amount that you spend at Kroger. Very similarly, there are restaurants like Bonefish Grill and Payway that also have loyalty programs. Well, to me, that tends to bring me back to those retailers because of the loyalty programs they have. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Let's now go to Kingston, Jamaica, to greet our friend Cecile Hemmings, born and raised in Jamaica, spent much of her career at the university there as a teacher and editor, French-speaking, foreign language expert, and now dedicates significant time to taking care of her granddaughter. Hello, Cecile. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Cecile, will you tell me a story as well? Tell me about a recent purchase. Well, as you spoke about my granddaughter, I purchased a playpen for her soon after she was born. I decided I wanted something that I could afford, but something that would be worth remembering that your grandmother gave you. And so I got uh, the bright idea to look in the classifieds. I actually look in the classifieds in the newspaper oh. and I, the very week I looked, I found a playpen and stroller being offered. I called the number and they offered to send me a photograph by WhatsApp so that I could see it. We agreed on a price. They said it was negotiable. I offered a lower price. They said, sure. I said, I'm coming tomorrow. Don't sell it to anybody else. And I was there the next day, collected the playpen and the stroller and was able to give those to my granddaughter. Well, to her parents. <laughs> right. So. And, and, and Cecile, are you a good negotiator? No. <laughs> I thought the price that they were asking was quite a decent price. And I mentioned it to my cousin that, you know, I was going to get this for her. And she is a hell of a negotiator. She said, offer them less than that. I said, but it's a good price. She said, yes, but they say they are negotiable. Offer them less. I felt, I felt odd but i suggested less and they said yes so there you go well i'm well, delighted for you so we have two boomers so far who got items with a sale price on bargains we could all learn from that so tell me how's how's the vaccine rollout catch us up going in jamaica and what's the experience from a senior perspective okay well the vaccine we have as a non producing vaccine country of our own and not being able to take um, vaccines in advance. We are part of this worldwide, it's called COVAX, right? And so we have been getting the AstraZeneca, which was being shipped from India. Unfortunately, India now has a major problem and they have stopped sending out vaccines because they're keeping them for their own serious problem. But we are told that some are still here. As part of the older population, we were prioritized. So I got my first job and I'm supposed to get another job in about four weeks. We hope that there will be vaccines here then. We have been told that there are, but sometimes there's many a slip 
twixt cup and lip. Mm-hmm. So we will see. But yes, so I'm partially protected. Well, we're very hopeful for you and all your friends and family in Jamaica. How do you feel the authorities handled the communications regarding the rollout of the vaccine? At first, it seemed that it was going fine. The PR went fine, but the execution didn't go so well. So they were giving all of this information about, you know, you must get it done and how to go about getting it. And then the system itself didn't hold up. First of all, you were to make appointments online. Unfortunately, we're talking about a developing country and we're talking about seniors, many of whom do not either have the machines nor maybe the accessibility. And so I don't know that many of them, if they heard the the information on the TV or on the radio, then had access to some machine to do this. So people were also encouraged to sign up at various health centers and so on. The problem is they had a lot of paper rather than putting it in a database. And apparently the website that people were supposed to use crashed at some point. So that sort of things went sort of a bit off track. But they still got people to... Part of the problem, of course, is that there's a large resistance because a lot of people think it is for whatever reason, either for religious purposes that they... It's the sap mark of the beast, or there are some who think it's Bill Gates is out to kill us all. There are all sorts of reasons. Or they don't need the vaccine because we're very much into natural foods here. So they're eating a healthy diet and they're taking these various herbs and so on. So they won't get ill. And that's the sort of interesting yeah, resistance so, they're having. F- fascinating marketing and communication challenge, right? Right. Cecile. What do you think in your region is the biggest myth about the older population? Well, based on what happened with the um, vaccine rollout, it is that they are able to access all these things that, that the younger people who are developing the marketing programs assume that these 80 year olds are going to be able to, you know, do online banking or do online shopping. No. Many of them do not have the means and they have to go in person. And I think that is the biggest, one of the biggest myths. Also, that we're not working, as my, the predecessor said, because I'm retired, but I, I'm an editor and I have work. In fact, I have had to turn down work because I have something doing and so I can't deliver that one. So I have said, no, if you need it now, I can't look at it. I will cut it three weeks' time. If you're in a hurry, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But yeah, thank you. Still working. Well, thank you for making time for us in your very busy schedule. Would you conclude with some advice, please, to marketers who are targeting your population? Speak to us. Don't make assumptions. When you are going to market, do not assume we're not a homogenous body. There are various different people who live in different areas. Jamaica has an urban population and we have a very rural population. It's quite mountainous. So when you have people who live in remote areas or in little pockets, you can't assume that what happens in Kingston or Montego Bay 
applies to them. Speak to the people. Go out there, speak to them, or get a feel of what their life actually is, their daily life, and then use that as your basis on which to develop your marketing plan. Thank you very much for that, Cecile. So now let's head over to Hartford, Connecticut to greet Jerry Joselov. So Jerry grew up in Connecticut, spent some time at the Peace Corps um, before commencing his career in a law firm. And in, in that law firm, he enjoys my understanding as current affairs, newspapers, investing, and much more. How are you this morning? Indeed, it's, it's afternoon there, Jerry. I'm doing well. It's good to talk with you, Margaret. Always lovely to see you, Jerry. So, 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 so tell me, are you much of a shopper? Well, actually, not so much of a shopper. Uh, when I go to buy something, I, I'm more oriented towards a functional item and not gadgets or entertainment or that type of thing. An example, I have a bad back and I wanted to find something that uh, would help support my back. I could sit on temporarily and so forth. So I went on the internet and uh, did some research and everything and uh, came up with uh, a particular item called a Sitco. And, uh, you know, I would shop for the item for the, the particular thing, not so much the brand. So, yeah, in buying something, I'm concerned with uh, the information and, you know, what information is available in writing and I can read and uh, that type of thing. What, what was the item you bought, Jerry? It's called a Sitco. It's like a tea where you would be able to rest. You walk for a bit or you can stand at a desk and you sit on it. It's not a chair, but it's, uh, it's something that I wasn't aware of. But I found on the internet, I took a shot and uh, ordered it and it turned out to be a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good item for me. Did you get advice from anyone in making that purchase or did you go it alone? No, not really. There's not advice you can get. I mean, I uh, obviously did the research on the internet mostly, uh, but if I was buying something where I was looking for advice, it would be more likely to the salesperson for information and recommendations, things like that. You know, I, to me, when you're buying an item, quality first, trust second, trust the product and the seller, maybe third, the ease of acquisition. And then I would kind of look at the price obviously and finally you know the brand the brand if i recognize the brand that would be a factor but not the motivating force so so that, michael I, I know you have some grandchildren i know you're interested in or jerry excuse me i'm thinking of your grandchildren and your interest in investing had an opportunity to discuss that with with those and um any decisions or purchases around those services well, yeah, I have um, one particular grandchild, uh, actually my son Michael's uh, oldest boy, showed an interest in it, and it's an area that I, I do get involved in, you know, and so I was able to help him and uh, kind of uh, explain a little bit about, uh, how, you know, how you go about acquiring a stock and, you know, what a stock is and what a corporation is and what having an interest or ownership in it is. All of which, you know, he picked up rather quickly. And then, of course, uh, today now with the, uh, you know, with a lot of the growth of these uh, discount brokers, they have, you know, the type of brokerage services that a 
a youngster can get involved in, like Schwab has Slice and these other things. So that worked out pretty well. And, um, you know, I suppose the advertising that Schwab did on Slice did catch my eye and was uh, something that I picked up on and was able to, uh, to put in place for him. Marvelous. Now, you mentioned advertising. What's the most effective way to reach your generation, Jerry, or to reach you in particular? Well, I think that uh, perhaps having the information in the ad, more importantly than cuteness that catches your attention. I, so I look for the information in the ad. Printed material is something that I pay attention to. We read more than tweet, to be honest with you, at least I do. And, and the, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we get are more services oriented rather than digital things and what have you. So reaching us, I think, you know, you have to have a feeling of trust on the, on the information that's being supplied to you. And a lot of that requires you to read. We, I think the older generation reads. We read newspapers, magazines. We, you know, we, we acquire information more that way than I think we trust. We don't really trust the Internet and a lot. We're rather cautious on that, I think, before we just get online and start, you know, sending out uh, requests for information. So, Jerry, I won't ask for legal advice because I haven't paid for that. <laughs> but what advice would you give to marketers targeting you in particular? Well, I think that, um, you know, I had a contracts uh, professor in law school that used to say, when someone says, trust me on this one and wants to shake hands, watch out. Meaning if they're not willing to put it in writing or you don't have something before you that you understand and can read, that, you know, you got to be cautious. So I think that they should focus on, uh, you know, the older population. They think we're foolish and maybe we, we don't think clearly we're not as quick, but we're a lot more cautious and we may know more than they think we know. So I think that to reach us, you have to, you have to reach out to um, a population that can absorb what you're saying. We're not, we're not quick to tweet and to Snap or, you know, all these other uh, platforms, these social platforms. I don't, do much on uh, any of the social platforms. Facebook is not something I use and what have you. So to reach me, I, I use the newspapers, the magazines, mailing. I read the, the ads that are sent because, uh, uh, you know, I do that. And I think that would be probably for the older generation. And I may be one step below the boomers. They call me the silent generation. Maybe. Is that correct? And so, you know, that's more of a, a way that I, I think we go out and look for something more than them reaching us. So when I get on the internet or when I'm looking for something, they should have, I think, a program or you know, a direction that will attract my attention so that they can uh, meet my needs. So I'm more looking for something and they should have something that catches my attention. Tremendous. Well, thank yes, you for those insights, Jerry. Now let's go, let's go to California to greet Ophelia Bascal, mentor to Sonita, born in Arizona, but spent much of her life in California, working in the public sector and public policy, now a scholar at the University of California and also a member of many boards. Hello again, Ophelia. Morning, Margaret. Nice to see you. Where are you today? I'm at home, so in Excellent. the Bay Area. Well, tremendous. So you know the drill now, Ophelia. Now it's your turn to tell a story. Any recent recent purchase, product or service you choose. 
Okay, so I wear contact lenses, and as people who wear contact lenses periodically run into problems with dry eyes, whether it's allergies or in my case because I'm getting older and my eyes are more dry. So I talked to my optometrist, and she suggested a product, gave me a coupon. I tried it, and it actually seemed to make things worse. So I began doing a little research on the Internet and was trying to find a product, and my AARP bulletin came in the mail. And I was looking through the um, newsletter, and they listed a bunch of new products, and one of them was an eye drop that was designed for dry eyes and had a new, had glycerin in it, which was apparently we all have a little bit of oil in our eyes. So I went out and bought it, and it was like a miracle, Margaret. All of a sudden, my contact lenses didn't hurt anymore. And I thought, this is terrific. And um, I was also getting new glasses at the time, so I was in my optician's store, and I said to the optometrist who oversees the store there, by the way, do you know about this new product? I said, it's really terrific. So he was dutifully writing it down. His staff was writing it down. There were two people in the store who said, what is the name of this? I thought, they should hire me. I can run around and sell their product. So there's an example of something that I purchased. So Ophelia, that makes you an influencer. That's correct. <laughs> well, big shout out to coincidentally Siegel and Gale client ARP. I, I couldn't miss an opportunity to give them a shout out. So Ophelia, that's a great experience. Would you be generous enough to share any negative experience you've had? Sure. So about a year ago, right before the pandemic, I had a hip replacement. And I, you, you know, you, they try to send you home the same day. Fortunately, my surgery was late in the afternoon, so I spent the night. And the next morning, um, one of the nursing assistants came in to check my blood pressure and, you know, everything, make sure I was ready to go home. And so everything was fine. She left. And she literally rushed in minutes later with this sort of shocked expression on her face and said, I just want to ask you, are you really over, are you 71 years old? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you don't look like you're 71. And I said, well, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Of course, you can imagine I'm lying in a hospital bed with my hair all sorts of which ways. But I was sort of amused by the fact that I wanted to, I wish I had had time to say to her, what does a 71-year-old look like? And, you know, I think those of us who are older run into this periodically where people, as I said, you know, may think they're complimenting you when they say, you don't look your age, but in fact, it's they really have a perception issue that they need to address. And for marketers in particular, I think that's critical. Any other misconceptions about your generation that you've experienced, Ophelia? Yeah, I think Cecile said it very well. We are not homogeneous. You know, we range in age pretty, it's an age group, first of all, but also we range in terms of, you know, our our both our income levels. I mean, there are people in this generation that are very wealthy and people who are barely getting by. Our health is also across that range. So there's just such a range of experiences and education and interests that, you know, I think if you just take a homogeneous approach to this group, it's a mistake. Building on that, any further advice you'd give to us marketers targeting your generation? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as Jerry just said, multiple channels to reach us where you know we use the internet we also still most of a lot of us still read a lot some watch television so i think you can't just settle on one channel i think it's interesting i'll give you an example cvs is our local pharmacy store here they used to have um, an ad circular in the sunday paper and they've discontinued that now 
And the assumption is that you're going to look online for the ad. And I've been in the store a couple of times, and I've heard people complaining about it. And I wonder how much are they saving by not printing the circular with people who would have been in the store because they read the ad and they came to get something, as opposed to assuming that, you know, somehow they're going to go on their phone and figure out what's on sale this week. Well, that's tremendous. And coincidentally, also a Siegel and Gale client needing us <laughs> help. So we will take that directly to the CMO and, and appreciate your sharing that insight. Uh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Ophelia. Now thank waiting you, patiently is Lester Barnett. Lester grew up in Brooklyn, spent his, uh, his career between California and New York sold his uh, health ad agency or marketing agency at the age of 52 and has spent the past 16 years as a big apple greeter a fine artist by training lester is a fanatical world traveler author collector and i'm understanding a an advisor or consultant to the smithsonian so hello lester are you i think from the background i recognize your new york home yes <laughs> yes this is i'm very new york yeah i left my california roots and here i am delighted to have you so lester i know you are a font of many stories will, will you tell me one about a recent purchase and the lessons marketers can glean from your experience okay i'll tell you a, a story specific to my work as a big apple greeter where which is a free service to anyone in the world who wants to come to new york and just see new york through a new yorker's eyes not as a tour I bought a gimbal or a Steadicam to, to steady my phone. I actually walk around New York with my phone on a Steadicam and I don't use it. Everyone thinks I'm videotaping. I'm not, I'm actually talking on a telephone and I'm taking people around New York the, over the last year as we've not been able to, to take visitors through New York. I'm now doing it as a virtual greeting of them and eventually we are, we're making friends and eventually they're going to come to New York and we're going to have a good time together. But right now, the Steadicam has been sensational. So, Lester, that's a new word for me today, a gimbal. Yeah. Um, you're learning something every day. So, so tell us about how did you settle on the particular Steadicam that you purchased? I'm a big user of the Internet. Uh, probably over the last year, I would say that my... Um, brand loyalty has probably dropped a great deal because i'm really out in the internet finding new brands in this particular case did my comparison with other brands i uh found this particular one i saw that there were different models decided on the one i wanted when i received it i have no compunction of sending it back the one grade up for another 50 dollars gave me much more convenience so I sent that back, got it, and delighted by what I got. And in fact, now tell other greeters and uh, another influencer on your hands. So Lester, you mentioned loyalty. Are there brands that you think are doing a great job in terms of targeting you? Well, I've lived with Apple for so long that I am absolutely, yes, they can, yes, they can do wrong, but they can't do wrong by me because I'm so committed to them and the interrelationship of their products. Are you loyal to any particular brand? I'm not very loyal at all. 
And in fact, I'm really with Jerry in saying, I wish they would talk to us more. Um, well, here's a, here's a, for instance, I'm wearing a Japanese home outfit. I bought it from Japan. That's the internet. As I travel the world, what's the most cl comfortable clothing at home? It's Japanese. And so the internet brings it to me. This is not a popular brand in America, but I am now committed to Japanese clothing more than American clothing. It'll probably change when I'm out there in the fresh air again, because I don't know that I want to look Japanese, but certainly at home I do. Tremendous. Well, I know you spend much of your career leading a marketing agency. Yes. So very well qualified to give some counsel to us. What's your top advice for marketers? And maybe before you get to the advice, share with us, uh, Cecile and others talked about assumptions, any misconceptions okay. out there? Well, I seem to be targeted like crazy by pharmaceuticals and financial services. They've got me. And then the, the next group down are the people who think I'm stupid, which is really rather insulting, but it's very clear that they think I can be easily duped. What is interesting to me is that the people who I am buying their products have no idea how old I am. So I am sure that person who, who makes the company that makes the Steadicam would probably be shocked that a 78 year old person is buying a Steadicam. Interesting. So, so uh, to me, it's, it's what do they know about me? You know, I, I certainly know some companies know about me and my age, but others don't, and they will make an assumption that, well, they're all young people doing it because all the instructions are all for skateboarders and all of those people. Nobody's paying attention to this guy. So you don't skateboard when you're doing the Big Apple greeting role, just to be clear? Oh, oh, oh that is the most fun in the in, in it's it's the greatest fun in the world. I am literally meeting the world and becoming friends with the world. It's sensation. Well, thank you for becoming friends with us here today. Thank you so much, Lester. So welcome. now that we've had the wonderful insights from our Boomer guests, I'm going to come back to the CMOs and ask for your reactions, learnings, surprises, and most importantly of all, your commitment to this generation. And to our audience, I invite you again to contribute your learnings in the chat. Michelle, can we start with you first? Sure. So, MetLife, global provider of insurance, annuities, benefits programs. Any surprises here, Michelle? Well, this is a tough act to follow, Margaret. And I guess it wasn't really a surprise, but I never converted my parents to Samsung when I worked there. So <laughs> there's some work to do. But, you know, I would say reflecting on what everyone has contributed today, I'd go back to my, my one word earlier of substantial because not just in the US, but also, you know, um, we work across the globe. Global consumers are expected to be older than 60 by the end of this decade, the majority, right? And we heard so many rich stories today and insights about retirement not meaning not working or having a new perspective on health. So it's really not to be doubted that this is a generation that's about to rediscover their relevance. And I think as marketers, as Cecile noted, there's such a substantial amount of understanding that needs to happen to truly understand and really be inclusive 
of this generation's changing needs. And so, you know, we as marketers and brand builders can really deliver on them, not just in our products and services, but also in how we communicate and how we engage and build relationships, especially in this accelerated digital world. So I think in all three of those areas, we really can make commitments, you know, having our products and services meet be be adaptable and flexible so that they can meet needs as as you move through different life stages. Thinking about how this generation feels represented in the advertising that they see and are we really communicating in a relevant way? And then I also think, you know, the pandemic has accelerated all of the digital efforts that we've trying to be to accomplish. But, you know, now's the time for brands to really get to understand this generation's new needs and digital use and engagement preferences so that we can really build lasting relationships. Well, thank you, Michelle. And thank you for introducing us to your father. Uh, Carrie-Anne, I'm going back to you. And as JMMB Group Jamaica, you're one of the leading financial providers in the Caribbean. Any surprises here? I know your word was undervalued, which is intriguing. Yes, really, really, really fascinating insights today, Margaret. And for me personally, this is it's fortuitous that I'm here because I've been on a personal and professional journey with this generation for quite some time. So on the professional side, again, we're in financial services. Most of our business is in the banking and investment space. And especially because we've had to be sheltering in place and, and under quarantine and all these things, it's really been about digital transformation and how do we support our clients by moving them into the alternative service delivery channels online and over the phone. And I think in in many ways we've we've taken a few missteps there and and i've seen it uh, not only from these conversations here making the assumptions that our boomers are can make the switch just like that but we clearly had had not taken the time to really understand their journey and on the personal side i have the unfortunate privilege and i'll tell you why i put those two words together to support my father who is terminally ill with cancer and my mom who's caring for him and being on the front lines with them in that particular experience, you recognize how brands just don't get it. You know, there's so much that brands don't get in supporting boomers at this stage in their lives. And so it, it comes back to what I believe really is my commitment is really taking the time to understand the buying journey of this generation, recognizing, yes, there's, they're, they're not homogenous by any means. There are some common threads, but we really do need to invest far more time and energy in understanding their journeys, understanding the buying journey, understanding their needs and the steps that they have to take to fulfill those needs so that we can really see them and deliver in a way that meets them. Well, thank you, Carrie-Anne, and our very best to your family. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Michael, Michael Joseloff at Fortune, a leading global media organization. So, Michael, you said cautious as your word, and I think Jerry definitely supported that word. Would you build on that, Michael, or any surprises across the board from this conversation? Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you to everyone for sharing these insights. It's been a really interesting uh, discussion today. 
I came up with the word cautious, but I, but you said a word, Margaret, as you began this discussion that I think actually kind of captures it better, which is thoughtful. There's a lot of thoughtfulness, there's carefulness, there's a measuredness to how this audience has been approaching their decisions. And it's very sort of deliberate in terms of either seeking information or looking to solve a particular need or problem or find a solution that they're looking for. So that for me was was actually the word that I probably would think about now is that thoughtfulness and the journey that, you know, that they kind of go on to, you know, get to their ultimate purchase decision. You know, one other thing that really jumped out at me though in the course of the discussion <clears throat> was the personal nature that comes into play at some point along the way of this decision-making process. You know, it used to be word of mouth. We've used the word influencer, but it's in, in influencer culture. You know, we look at it in the broad sense as, you know, it's very socially driven. It's on these different platforms, but each of the different stories, it was interesting to hear the personal aspect that came in, whether it was that customer service experience, that interaction with a salesperson, the cousin who came along the way to kind of join uh, to close the deal or even getting advice from others or sharing like Ophelia did advice to her friends. You know, I think that's a really interesting piece to think about is the personal aspect that goes along with the kind of the research and the information seeking process that these buyers are going on on their on their journeys. So, Michael, what's your commitment as a CMO to appealing to this generation? So it's interesting at Fortune, you know, we have a, a, a legacy business. You know, obviously, we've been around for over 90 years with a magazine, but by far now, the vast majority of our business is digital, digital and event based uh, initiatives. And it's a very different need set for our consumers and one size does not fit all. So. The commitment that I'm making is understanding how this audience needs to use our information and services differently than other generations might or other you know, consumer groups and really keeping that in mind in our messaging and our outreach efforts and well, thank support. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you for that, Michael. And we did learn that they read also, so good to know for Fortune. Let's go back to California to say hi again to Sonita. And at HP, largely your purpose is to create technology to make life better for everyone everywhere. So against that backdrop, Sonita, any surprises or learnings for you this afternoon? Yeah, I think uh, when you asked me my one word in the beginning, I said it's self-confident because I always think of this generation as a generation that you know, is very rich in experience, you know, have gone through a lot. And so they are self-confident. And as, as I was listening to uh, the insights, the various panelists, I think what really a key theme for me is that they know what they want and they will do the research to kind of like get to where they, to, to get to a decision. And the way they do research is through various channels, you know, it's very, uh, it's not homogeneous, you know, a lot of people mention uh, that they're very comfortable going to the internet to research, but others, you know, actually find their information from newspapers or magazines and others ask for recommendations. 
So my key theme, you know, like I think the lesson learned here is that this group is very savvy about their decision-making process and how they get to their purchase. And so with that, I guess, uh, Margaret, you might ask me next, is like, what's my commitment as a brand leader? I think the one commitment uh, I would like to make as a brand leader is to listen uh, to this group, not, not to make assumptions, uh, especially, you know, I'm in the technology world and perhaps, you know, some brand leaders and technology may make assumptions about certain generation. But what is very important is actually to listen to the group, uh, not only during product development, but also in delivery and be intentional in, you know, our messaging, our positioning in targeting this group. So I think uh, that would be kind of like my commitment as a brand leader. Sunita, before I move on, I know you grew up in Indonesia and you have family there still. Any brief parallels or differences across those two markets? Yeah, I would say so. My mother, she she's actually 86 years old right now and she has become more savvy with the internet, especially after the pandemic. I would say I, I don't think it is too different from how things are here. I think people there, the older generation, they also do their research both online and uh, through reading, you know, the newspapers or magazines, and also through just asking recommendations from family members, from friends. So I don't see too much of a difference, perhaps, perhaps in terms of just the access to, te to technology in certain more remote areas of Indonesia. Uh, you know, Indonesia is a big country with 17,000 islands. On the big islands like Java and Sumatra, people have good access, you know, to technology and the internet. But perhaps, you know, in some of the more remote places, you know, people might not have access. But overall, I would say, Margaret, it's actually not, not like a significant difference. Well, thank you. And uh, listening is universally a good advice. Thank you, Sonita. So waiting ever so patiently, Russell Barnett of My Mochi, the delicious snackable ice creams. So Russell, take us home. Learnings, right. please. So this was really fascinating. And I, and I will tell you, the one thing I wrote down is this scared the crud out of me. And I'll tell you why it scared the crud out of me. It's because we as marketers have no control. These folks have 100% control of what they're looking for, what they're willing to, how they're willing to get at it, what they're willing to tolerate for brands, how they're interested in utilizing that brand, and what works for them. So I wrote down that, look, technology is key. There, there's a definite savviness to the internet. And this is a generation that grew up without the internet. I mean, this is, so it's the first real group that's really been able to touch it. I love the idea that reviews were important that there was some touching on social, very important. But I also thought as a brand, holy crud, here was a group that had a real interest in brand reputation and was not interested in being transient. They became transient because of a need to wander off, not because they felt like it was next thing to be cool and, and try something different. Boy, what an opportunity. So I looked at that as, as something really, really cool. I also saw that, you know, this idea of control is really in very much part of their core, this group's core of how they grew up. They grew up in the 50s, which was completely homogenous. And then of course, the 60s became, screw everybody. This is my world and I'm gonna take some control and ownership of it. 
the 70s came in and there's this sort of idea of free love and notion of taking this even further. And so this idea of this, of being completely one way and only one way is completely against what, what you know, folks have said here about technology or they said about financial services or they said about healthcare and the like. It, this is really a group that says, treat me as an individual, don't forget about me. And by the way, I'm here because you're here because of me. And I thought that was really, really interesting to listen to the whole group and how they, how they, how they took on the world and made it work for them. And finally, ever so briefly, can you share your personal commitment as a CMO to this generation? Yeah, you know, we, we make a snack. You know, we're, uh, we're four bites and, and, and you're out. And one of the things that's really important is, you know, we're an experiential brand, first and foremost. And what we've always said is we're an inclusive brand. And what we've always said is let's talk to people who are empowered and enthusiastic about who they are and what they believe in. So for us, it's, it's a matter of making sure that we continue along with that messaging and never sort of stray from that North Star of people of individuals and give them the tools and the technology to let their voices be heard. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for that, Russell. So in thanking all our panelists, here are my reflections. I've learned that the experiment of these roundtables happens when the conversation elevates us to places beyond where we could have reasonably expected to go. And what a journey we've gone on today. We began with facts illuminating the scale of the silver economy. Through listening to the lived experiences, honest frustrations, and nuanced insights of our guests, we've discovered new dimensions that the shorthand of measurement, stereotypes, and popular culture often obscure. We've been transported beyond the anonymity of statistics to the poetry of real people. My overarching takeaway is to optimally address this market. Our concept of older consumer must be ambitious enough to reflect all the facets and flexible enough to make sure that this generation feels heard, seen, and valued. My hope for our audience is that this roundtable provokes you to exercise the curiosity to challenge your assumptions, to push the boundaries of product development to meet their unmet needs, and ultimately to unlock the creativity and the myriad possibilities that this generation presents. Nourished by the hopefulness of this intergenerational conversation, I'm reminded of the words of the Irish poet Seamus Heaney. He tells us, hope is not optimism which expects things to turn out well, but something rooted in the conviction that there is good worth working for. Brimming with hopefulness, my thanks to all our panelists for encouraging us to look more generously on each other and ourselves. CMOs, 
We look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. And thank you for inviting your parents and your mentors to join us. Thank you, as always, to my production team, led by Alison Shiver and Ashley Noonan, assisted by Mick Smith, Aaron Proud, and Aisha Ewing, blog editor Daniel Alonso, designer Gisem Karatis, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. And you are all invited back for our next episode on Wednesday, May 26th, at 8 a.m. Eastern, when I will be joined by five CMOs and for a discussion this time on brand experience. Remember, you can listen to all our previous roundtables by subscribing to How CMOs Commit wherever you enjoy podcasts. And I would very much appreciate a rating and or a review. With that, on behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy, thanking you for joining us and wishing you all a very happy U.S. Mother's Day this coming weekend. Thank you. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.